and going in, you need to plan and prep for this. So it's like a marathon and we need to directly train and training by planning our sleep and planning our food and oh, go to the grocery store before you get to the show so you have the food. Otherwise, you're not going to eat the healthy food. You're going to eat what's on the ground and it's not all the best options. Try to go to sleep. Try to get some sleep. And then learn how to say no. In my business, I don't want to turn anyone away for an alteration or, you know, something that can't hemming right away. I can't do it all. I'm sorry, people. I could not do it all. In on the rail at a jog, please. On the rail at a jog. Welcome back to another episode of On the Rail Podcast. This week we have an exciting young lady, and I'm personally super excited to get into the vendor space. And Amy here has done a wonderful job. So I'm sure this conversation will be super intriguing for me and hopefully for all of us listeners. And without further ado, Amy, if you just want to give us an intro and kind of what you do within the industry nowadays. Hi, I'm Amy Engelskerger and I most recently showed my quarter horse mare, Always Victorious, who I unfortunately did recently sell to expand my business into vending on a larger scale I went from a 16-foot cargo trailer and expanded into the English tack and apparel business. So excited to put a new trailer on the road in 2023 and hit all the major shows. That's exciting and a big jump in space. Most definitely. And driving is a lot different too. Oh, yes. So before we kind of dive into what you're doing currently, what was your start in the horse industry? And then also recap your recent success you've had as a select amateur, because we definitely want to touch on that too. So I'm one of those people that horses are in my blood. I had a grandmother who had horses, and I always wanted to spend my summers with my grandmother. And unfortunately, she was near Pennsylvania, and I was in Cleveland, Ohio. So I took lessons all through as a kid up into junior high, then I kind of got out of it. And I met this girl, we were ski instructors at a local area, and her and her mom showed quarter horses. And she got me into quarter horses and my first horse and then the next horse. And she moved on and moved to Florida. So I just kind of stuck with it, but not on a big scale. I ended up being like a Walk trot queen for the longest time. I don't think I've been looping for 10 years up to this point. So I showed walk trot local shows into the end of Pinto. And I had a paint mare at the time and I sold her. And I was offered my first quarter horse was 18 year old gelding that was in a hard retirement that we pulled out of retirement and turned him back into an all arounder. And when he was 19, I had great success with him, believe it or not. And then at 20, he came out sour. So I sold him and I was going to sit tight till I turned 50 because I was about 48, 49 and just couldn't wait to be a select. I leased a horse the first year I was a select from Oklahoma, big gray that a lot of people knew. His name was Blue Skies and Mai Tais. And we had a fun year, but we pretty much marketed him for the owner to sell and he moved on to his new owner. 
2019, I was at Level 1 East Championships in Wilmington, and I was not looking for a horse, but I was offered a horse. Becky Schooler offered me a mare that she owned. It was a four-year-old plain Jane red mare that was green, green, green broke. And two days after the Level 1 East, I was up to Becky's for the first time, and the rest was history. We learned a lot together, and I have Becky to thank for a lot. I went to shows I never dreamt of going to, and I had my name called at those shows, too. So, and the last show, that the last ride that I had on that mare was the AQHA World Show 2022, was the Level 1 Champion of Champions Select Under Saddle, and the Little Red Mare and I came out as the winners. So that's how I ended my showing career with Heather. I, like... You start tugging at my heartstrings with all of that, but I know you've had a lot of success with that mare. So which title, which moment, which show, anything stands out to you? I'm sure the last one was probably, you know, hard one, but what's your greatest achievement you think with her? Well, there was actually three. The, in 2020, when they had the level one championships at the QHA World Show, we were third in the level one select under saddle. And that was first time I had my name called, received hardware at a big show on the stage like that. So that was exciting. And I've had this love of showmanship long, long time. And the first time I ever showed Heather and showmanship was at the Shamrock Shuffle March 2020 before the world shut down. And we had a great future in it. And in 2021 at the NSBA World Show, Heather and I came out as the novice select world champions at that show. So I think that was my first one, my biggest one. And then, of course, then there was this past AQHA world show, the very last ride on the mare. We came out on top also. That seems like a little bit like a Disney movie in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you could have had a better ride to end your career with her. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Glamorous Threads, as in like, how did it originally come about? And what was your idea about that when it was originally getting started? So it was about 2010. I took my quarter horse mare to a a local trainer and they just pretty much did open shows and nothing big. But his fiance at the time took the clients in to show them her wardrobe of her show clothes. And So I thought I'd never be able to afford the quantity or quality of the show clothes. So I figured out how to make them. And I started Glamorous Threads that summer by sewing English hunters. And to this day, I personally hand cut, sew, market every single shirt, collar, and dickie with my private label in it. So I'm very proud to say that Glamorous Threads hunters are the only hunt shirts that are made in the USA to this day that there's no other designer actually hand-sewing shirts. Yeah, and you've since like expanded into doing showmanship suits and all kinds of things. So what has the growth process been like for you? And, you know, even the hunt jackets and the suits and everything, like how did all that kind of come about for you? It was just a natural progression that needed a coat to go over the shirt and then you need the breeches to finish out the outfit. So I had designed um, with some other top trainers, Heidi Piper and Don Baker, the Glamorous Threads GT Custom Breach. That So I say as stock breed exhibitors, we're relying upon what the hunter-jumper people put out. And 
they have gone to a low-rise front zip, Euro seat, light tan show breech, sometimes with silicone knee grips. And that's not what stock breed exhibitors want. They, we want a moderate rise breech. We want the suede knee patches, nothing on our butts, and a flat front. So that's how the GT breeches came out. Coats were actually before breeches, and you need those to complement. And to be able to dress a rider from head to toe was always a vision of mine. And that's what I do to this day. It's very cool. And I think on that note too, I was just thinking the other day and you touched on it is we're so sometimes I think we depend on the other disciplines or other sports within our industry to that funnel down to us. So the breach comment was definitely a good one to point out because I can never, could never find good breaches. So kudos. Thank you. And then the, the showmanship suit. So I've always shown it showmanship in suits going back to 2014-15. I actually hand sewed the first suits I made. One was a beautiful eggplant purple that was a real pretty color until you went to Wilmington, Ohio, when it was brand new and the lights were new and the sand was white. You went in there and oh dear Lord, <laughs> I was Barney from neck to toe, I was purple. <laughs> <laughs> so that suit got the infamous name as Barney, and I made one just like it that was blue. We called that one Bad Luck Blue because I never did as well in that one as I did the other one. And then I just started the Hunt Coast progressed. The tailors can make the suits. And a fun fact, I first time I showed my mirror, I said was the Shamrock Shuffle March 2020. And the last time was at the World Show. I only wore one suit every single time I showed that mirror. It was the same suit. Now, I had two more made to replace it, but I never wore them. So that's a fun fact. Hmm. Stay with the lucky things or the things yeah, that are going yeah. well. Yeah. So like in your time of designing, we'll just hunt shirts because I know you do those from scratch and by hand. What has been the evolution in the last 10, 12 years of just even hunt shirts? It seems like the hunter under saddle division is getting to where we can have a little bit more like personalization and creativity without getting too far, you know, out of the realm of things or, but what are your thoughts there? Actually, what I've seen is a trend going back to traditional white shirts. A majority of quarter horse exhibitors have gotten away from color and are going back to classic white shirts. Now, the way to dress it up when I sell a shirt, usually a custom shirt, we do a fun collar for under saddle and we do your conservative collar for equitation. That way it gives you versatility and still have a white shirt. White shirts are not boring. White shirts are classic. Mm -hmm. There's several judges out there that appreciate the look of you wearing a classic crisp white shirt with a dark coat. And those judges, you know, if you're going to show to them, you want to wear that outfit that, that, and that's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be traditional attire with some individuality thrown in. So way to throw an individuality is a fun collar or a solid silk collar, or let's tie the collar into the coat somehow. And we, I can do that. And I also make just collars. People wear just buy collars. They'll go through my silks and order just a collar to be unique in that way. And I know you offer kind of a service of, I forget what it's called, but like you can kind of revamp an already made hunt coat, right? That you can kind of spice it up and change things out, like change buttons, change collars, that type of thing. Is that something you still do? Sure. Yes, it is. 
people with semi coats and uh, trainers. You know, trainers don't have a lot of money, but they'll go through their closet and they have a lot of old coats. Maybe that ended up in their trailer, but they send me these coats and I can add velvet or a suede to a collar. Then we add piping to it and I'll change out the buttons, the fancy buttons. So there is still life for a lot of those older hunt coats to make them new. And no one knows. If you're riding around the pen, either people on the rail or the judge in the center of the ring does not know that that's not a new hunt coat off the rack or custom, that it could be an older coat that you spend hundred, $200 on and bam, we have a brand new coat. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. That's a great idea. So what was it like trying to be a vendor at some of these horse shows while you actually showed then too? Insane, impossible, <laughs> run yourself to the ground. And a lot of these were like the biggest shows too. I know that just from talking to you, it's like, we're not talking weekend shows, but a lot of these were the the major shows. So yeah. Tell us about that. Yep. So you try to find help, reliable help, dependable help. Educated help to work your booth, but it doesn't always work out as you planned. So you think you have coverage for the booth and they may not be there the entire time or just don't grasp the concept of manning a booth 100% of the time when you're at a show. So therefore, I showed level one and vended at a booth at the level one East Championships at Wilmington. The madness right after that, I just was an exhibitor and oh, it's so enjoyable when you're at a show just an exhibitor. Congress. Let's fast forward to Congress. It was my first time as a vendor with a booth at Congress. And not only do I just man the booth, I also do a lot of alterations and repairs and pant hemming for just people off the street, other exhibitors, vendors. Will send me pants. Carolyn Barry is very fit. I did a lot of work for. And so that what we what we call homework, which I do after the booth closes. And my horse is there. So my the, my trainers ask me to go lunch my horse at two in the afternoon or, hey, do you have a moment to come ride at three in the afternoon? And that's on top of the 3 a.m. ride times that we have because I have a trainer that we put our work in. And yes, the results show, but it was insane. So at Congress is when I did make the decision to put the mare up for sale and finished up Congress. And then I told them I'd go to the world show because I had entered and I would just be an exhibitor. And wow, that worked out so swell. <laughs> we actually had some breakthroughs. I spent seven and a half months this year back in the saddle after a very, not traumatic, but a very severe injury, fall and complete hip replacement, which I rehabbed last winter. So this year I've just been trying to get back in the saddle. Those breakthroughs didn't happen to the world show, unfortunately. Do you want to tell everybody about what happened for your injury or you want to skip that? No, I'll tell them. It's common knowledge. Yeah. So we all know horses are an inherent danger and it's a risky activity that we've all partake in. So we think that riding is the most dangerous part of horses. Well, showmanship can be just as dangerous. (laughs) I was like, I knew it. I always knew it. (laughs) It can be. And I have a tip for that at the end. So Congress 2021, which was just two months after I was the world champion at the NSBA World Show, I was practicing showmanship the night before I was supposed to show. And in the overhang, it was crowded, a bunch of people. And the pattern called for us to do a circle to the left. And I was actually running this circle around people who were standing in the center. My trainer asked them if they could group together so her clients could run around them, which we did. 
and I was doing a circle to the left and the mare clipped my right heel, sent me flying, ended up in the dirt and oh, it hurt. So they made me sit there for a while and eventually got up and got a golf cart ride back. And then Tuesday morning, I hurt. I could not run. And we didn't think anything was wrong. But afternoon, I ended up at the vet for an x-ray because isn't that what us horse people do? <laughs> we called the vet and had the vet x-ray our body parts. And I'm not the first one or the only one. I know several others. So the vet x-ray and they didn't see anything wrong. I moved on to Wednesday and I rode out from the ground wasn't pretty I rode Thursday since I worked for OQH at Congress I was doing the donut hospitality cart and ran into a friend who she shows her daughter shows and her husband is a high-end orthopedic surgeon on the southeast side of Columbus by 11 o'clock that morning I was at Dr. D'Onofrio's office and he x-rayed my hip and he didn't see anything wrong and I said great it's not broken can I have a show block Dr. D'Onofrio so I can show tonight well, his idea was a show block of a show block was a steroid Z pack, which didn't really touch the pain that I was in discomfort. So there was another class I couldn't show, which was the level one select under saddle Thursday night. Last day of the show, practically Saturday, I was going to show one class. I was bound to determine because, you know, my barn, my crew, those people, they had that short horse ready to show Tuesday. They had the horse ready to show Thursday. They had the horse ready to show Saturday. The exhibitor could not show. So I was hoping to show Saturday, select equitation, and that was the last day. The weather got cold and damp, and somehow that morning, my hip snapped in two. We didn't know it. I didn't think it was broken. So I ended up withering in pain most of the afternoon and finally went to the ER at 1030 at night on the northeast side of Columbus, sat in the wheelchair for six hours, and then the next six hours were kind of a blur because it was ER. CT scan, admitted, surgery for a complete hip replacement. And by noon, I was in a room with visitors and balloons. Oh, my. Yeah. Like, it's a wild story. And all from showmanship practice. Yeah, whole thing. that right there just guarantees me I will never do showmanship. Nope. <laughs> so, oh, here's my tip. Practice showmanship in tennis shoes. Your high end, your top exhibitors, your selects. They run out there in tennis shoes. I keep all my old, kept all my old tennis shoes to run in because if your horse clips your heel on a rubber tennis shoe, it bounces off. Mm-hmm. If your horse clips your heel in a wood heel boot, you go sailing. Trust mm-hmm. me, I know. You're stuck mm-hmm. and potentially have a fractured hip. That's wild. Ugh. I know. <laughs> it's like, can we all take a minute That's, to like yeah. together ourselves? All right. So getting back to the original conversation, what advice do you have for amateur competitors out there trying to balance it all and still find ways to show horses, whether you're vending at a show or just working in general, working life, trying to afford it all and find time to do everything? You have to take care of your health first. Vending is just as grueling as showing. And as an exhibitor, you're an athlete and you want to be in the top shape, eat healthiest food. And these are all Jenna's things too. (laughs) Or <laughs> preaches and, and sleep. And we don't always get that at a horror show. So as an exhibitor, as a vendor, you still have to take care of your body if you're going to make it through this show. There's been several shows, whether I'm just vending or if I'm showing, that you just run yourself into the ground. And going in, you need to plan and prep for this. So it's like a marathon and we need to correctly train. And training by planning our sleep and planning our food and, oh, go to the grocery store before you get to the show so you have the food. 
Otherwise, you're not going to eat the healthy food. You're going to eat what's on the ground. and It's not all the best options. Try to go to sleep. Try to get some sleep. And then learn how to say no. In my business, I don't want to turn anyone away for an alteration or, you know, something that they can't hemming right away. I can't do it all. I'm sorry, people. I could not do it all. And I just have to learn that you have to focus on what's going to be the best outcome for everyone in the end, I guess. Yeah. You got to protect your health, your mindset of yourself before anybody else will. Definitely. So you decided to become show horseless and sell your mare after this last year's world show. What was that decision process like for you and kind of how hard was it for you to hit the pause button on having your own horse and showing? So knowing I had a replacement that that I would still be at horse shows and selling my horse um, kind of has been something in the works that was brought to my attention twice last year in the spring when the horse market was crazy. Have I thought about selling her? Well, selfish me wanted to show her. I wanted that comeback. That was what 2022 was for me was to prove I could come back and do it. And knowing that there was a handful of people that were retiring towards the end of the year, sometime in 2022, that there was an opportunity opportunity to take the reins from them and carry on their tradition or the products and services that they offered at shows. So we worked on this all 2022 while showing, and it was at Congress when I took over the vending booth. And I think we were waiting for the results from my showmanship class. And I looked at my trainer. I said, put her up for sale. I can't do it all. And I can tell that's still a hard thing for you to let go. Is it the mayor herself or the closing of that chapter or that book of showing yourself or a little bit of both? Or I think a little bit of both. There's still so much I wanted to accomplish. So two years ago, I ordered custom chaps, hoping to do horsemanship with that mare. And that never came to fruition. And she had been started over poles. Not that I had any desire to do trail, but she has trail potential there. And I would like to see those. But when you're at a show, if I'm trying to bend. So here's what I said. It's not fair to my checkbook, my pocketbook, for paying for the training. My trainer and crew prepared that horse 110% every show, every time. The exhibitor did not show up at 100%. You know, if I'm only going to show up at 50 or 70, it's not fair to everyone else. The horse, the trainer, or my checkbook, you know, to do it. So something has to give. Something has to go. And unfortunately, this window is wide open for this vending opportunity. I have the best mentors that with the best advice and that's what I'm doing now. And so this year I'll be at more horse shows than I was in 2022. And I can take my experience, my knowledge and have a plethora of experts at my fingertips to guide people in the right direction. If it comes to a bit or anything else pertaining to English tack and attire. That's a perfect segue into your Glamorous Threads has now morphed into Glamorous Threads English Apparel and Tech. Let's get that right. <laughs> so you gave us a little bit of background on how you moved in the direction, but on the business side of it, what really was impetus for deciding to once and for all go all in on being or having a vendor trailer? The last couple that retired with the trailer for sale, dear friends of mine. So in the past, since 2020, 
I've been offered a couple tech trailers, businesses to buy, and the constant in there has always been my dear friends, Jim and Joni Roth, who were institutions in the vending industry. And when I, in 2020, I was offered the first trailer to buy business. I went to Jimmy and I'm like, what should I buy it? He's like, what are you buying? And I give him a list and he goes, you don't need to buy it. You don't need the name. You have a name. Are you not here at the world show? Are you getting your name called? Okay, I won't buy it. That wasn't meant to be. So fast forward two more years and I've been on my 16 foot cargo trailer and NSBA, Jim and Joni Roth decided that was it. That was their first show. Their trailer's for sale. Now, not my dream trailer. We all dream of big fancy trailers with a cushy living quarters and maybe a couch or a chair. Not a 20-year-old vending trailer that's 48 feet long, eight feet of living quarters, which everything is in eight feet. There's no chair. There's no couch. And as I've been advised by Jimmy, you get up, you open your doors, you go to work all day. You close your doors, you go to dinner. (laughs) You come back from dinner. If there's people milling around, you open your doors back up. If not, you go to bed and you do it all over again. You don't need a couch or a chair in the living quarters, do you? So after the world show, we went up to Wisconsin. We picked up their trailer. And did I mention it's a 20-year-old trailer? We brought it to Florida, cleaned out 20 years of horse show dirt, dust, and dog hair, removed every inch of grid wall we could. And that trailer, every inch was covered with grid wall. And we cleaned it. We painted it. We started to restock it. And the reason I chose the English tax side of it is because my other dear friend John he sold his trailer a year ago and recently sold his brick and mortar store and he has just been a great help God sent he was my go-to for shopping we all shopped with John at the hitching post when he owned the trailer and with John retiring like that lost our opportunity for the the knowledgeable go-to the rings we always loved and the bridles and you know he always had it in stock I bought so much stuff from him so I'm going to take my experience knowledge from the English side of it showing, take my apparel business and expand that into your one-stop shopping for your English apparel tech and all the accessories. And then from the Jimmy Ross side of it, his shelf of chemicals and other knickknacks, whether it be a double end snap to a Chicago screw. I mean, I have Jimmy's specialty shelf there still in the trailer. And then Joni is also pitching in, help me with the suppliers and where she got the best products from. So I want to have something for everyone and make it be a one-stop shop. What are your goals as far as on the business front? Like where do you foresee it growing or expanding to? Or is that what your just main focus is going to be? For Like that's enough to focus on for the next foreseeable few years. It's enough to focus on. Um, I don't see... As of right now, any more expansion. I'm still trying to stock this trailer up because it's a lot of work to claim that some of the accounts were grandfathered, rolled over, but I still have to establish my own accounts and they want my credentials, my name, my business information. It's not just handed to you. And then to come up with the financing to stock this trailer that you, okay, maybe I don't have everything going to the first show, but the next show I add a little bit more and then next show I'm going to add a little bit more. So hopefully by the time I hit my first big quarter horse show, end of March, beginning of April, I'll have a fully stocked trailer and hopefully have everything at the fingertips that everyone needs. 
I think that's the part that's like hard for me to stomach a little bit, knowing that, Mm -hmm. especially if you're trying to be more high end. So obviously this isn't the bottom of the barrel line of things in the industry, but you're personally responsible for the inventory you keep until it sells. And that gives me like a little bit of a nervous twitch, even try to imagine what you're doing there. And I know Liz can probably relate to this right now. It's a learning curve for sure for me, because I'm just starting. So hearing how you've grown and pivoted and you're making things work gives me a little bit more hope that I'm not completely out of my mind trying to make something work. So no, that's, yeah, it's a little nerve wracking for sure. So your other vendors can also be your friends. And I've had some great mentors along the way. And there's a few things that Kathy Williams told me back in the day. And even though she would carry an English apparel line, and I still have friends that carry other English apparel lines, but what they say is it's just business. You know, we're all in this to promote our business and to come out with at a profit. So Kathy Williams always said it's just business. And to be successful, you have to be seen. By that, it's personally seen face-to-face. That's not hiding behind a computer, hiding behind Facebook pages and Instagram pages. That's actually dragging your trailer to shows, getting out, meeting people. And, you know, if you have a successful show career, that helps to get your name known and you have a name out there. Those are just two of the things. And one other thing I've learned is don't let reps pass push products on you that you know you do not want to sell. That's the hard one. Do you have reps that generally work with other sects of the horse industry that maybe they try to sell you products that you know won't work within the stock horse world? Is there any of that type of thing going on or is it just anything goes? You're correct. So I have a lot of reps from the hunter jumper world and I keep telling them we're stock breed. I'm stock breed. I'm stock breed. So to me, I don't go to very many shows where there's actually over fence classes. So I'm not going to stock a sun shirt in my trailer. I only have 32 feet, 32 by eight feet of a trailer. I'm not going to stock blankets and coolers and sun shirts. And there's a lot of stuff. I might bring in another brand of breeches to have that option for people, maybe at a lower price point, but there's a lot of things in hunt caps. We still wear traditional hunt caps. Unfortunately, there's one supplier that still makes them. But in the crash helmets, there's a handful out there. Mm-hmm. But I know what's most popular in the stock breed industry. I don't want to carry the other one that may be very popular in the hunter jumper. And I'd love to carry Sam Shield, but we know that's not in the price point of a stock breed exhibitor. So I just have to say no and thank you and move on to the next item. So interesting to me. What are you most excited about for this new venture you started? That's a hard one. I'm excited. I should be at more horse shows in 2023 than I was in 2022. For people to come to see the trailer. And I've left a few little mementos. I left the name on the sliding door. And there's a section of wood right outside the front door. That if you walk up and you look Ross, I'm like, and then people walk into the trailer with the makeover, it is just beautiful. You cannot even tell on the inside that this is a 20-year-old trailer. So that's exciting. And for people to walk in to say, oh, you have hair nets. Oh, you have the extra long reins. Oh, you have black spurs and irons. 
yes, I'm excited to offer the one-stop shopping in one trailer. So on the flip side, and maybe like in regards to having to make over the trailer, what's been the biggest struggle with the expanding? Probably smartly stocking inventory. Uh, just I'm not putting all this in debt, not putting on a, let's just say not taking one credit card and raking up $200,000 to stock a trailer. Trying to be smart about that and order a little bit of at a time how I can afford it. That way I'm not going into debt and I can just turn all the sales back into the trailer at this time. Yeah. Like I said, that gives me a nervous twitch to think about buying inventory. And I think you're getting ready to get into some of the saddles and stuff too, right? So that involves having saddles sitting in your inventory. (laughs) True, true. (laughs) Yep. I'm going to save those announcements for the future that I'm bringing in a couple saddle lines that what stock breed people use and ride in. Yeah. So I'm excited for that to come too. I know you've had several mentors that have helped you in this process. So what's the best advice the mentors have given you, either about your business or showing horses or both of them? Oh, geez. Well, I said two big things. Remember with my other vendors and it's just business and we all have to get along in that sandbox and we all pull into a show. We all want to park our trailers. We all have the same exposure and coordinate with the show committee that you don't step on anyone's toes because in the end, it's just business and we're all there for the same reason. So if we all get along, great. To be successful, you have to be seen. And that's getting out to shows and that's meeting people, whether it be making deliveries or dragging a trailer into a show. What else? This is one I don't say very often because it was kind of, but it was said to me as something to think about when I'm stocking my trailer. Don't buy something I can't sell in two weeks. Think about that one. And for showing, I worked my ass off. (laughs) I'm not the type of person that can just show up, fly in, hop on a horse. I drove to my trainers once a week when I was really hard gung-ho boot camping for a show. And that was two hours and 20 minutes each way. So every week I did that. So you have to put your time in. No matter what we, whether it's showing, whether it's spending, whether it's work, you have to do the time. You can't just sit back and let it all come to you. Mm -hmm. It's like time is money and you can't ever get away from that. Time is everything. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you see yourself getting back into showing horses ever? Not right now. This venture is (laughs) new. I haven't sold anything of my apparel, maybe a hunt coat or two, because I can replace those. But my bridles, my show halter, my saddle are still sitting at home. Oh, and that suit. So I'm not going to sell anything. I'm going to hang on to it. I don't know. But definitely for the next two to three years, focusing on getting this trailer on the road to show. Is there a little bit of peace in that feeling like that chapter's kind of closed down for the time being so you can fully focus on the business aspect of it? Or is yes. it still yes. too emotional? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it, there is peace. There is peace. Heather, so I don't have to stress out about, you know, making the decision to show. Like I said, I told him, I go, she's still around. Come April, I'll enter level one East because it's my last, was been my last year of eligibility. But no, no, she's gone. I don't have to worry about the entries. I don't have to worry about, you know, the trainer bill. It's almost like a financial freedom on that end. Now that I can just focus on the business, which is a huge, huge relief. 
And as I said, I'm not grateful for everything my trainer did for me, but so grateful for everything they did. But you no, know, it's just peace. It's just the business. And I kind of look at it as my retirement. I'm 55, like, give me 10 good years going down the road. This is my retirement plan. I know you have a very busy schedule coming up for 2023, but what are you planning on doing? What shows are you going to be at for this year to give everybody kind of an idea of where they can find you at? Big shows. So I went to her in Florida and I've kind of planned my travels to hit a horse show on the way home back to Ohio. So the first show, the big quarter horse show will be Georgia on my mind end of March, beginning of April. Then we'll head back to Ohio to WEC Ohio level one East championships straight into the madness. And hopefully we'll set up in one spot there and just remain through the whole time. So that's like three weeks there. From the madness, I'm going to go down to Kentucky to the premiere. From the premiere in Kentucky, I'm going to take my horse. I'm a director for Northern Ohio Quarter Horse. And I promised them I'd bring my trailer to at least one of the shows. So I will hit the Northern Ohio show in June. From there, I probably go straight up to Michigan to the Back to Berrien show at Berrien Springs. That puts us into beginning of July. I will have support the Ohio amateurs at the Little Buckeye Classic at Garwood Arena early July. And then I don't know what I have middle of July. Then I'll go on to back to Oklahoma for actually my first trip back to Oklahoma trailer. And I'll be the NSBA World Show. Hopefully I can park the same place that Jim and Joni always park the trailer under the overhang. And they might be making some changes. So we'll have might have a new location there this year. Then I'll come home. APHA just announced they'll have 2023 East and West National Championships. So the East Championships is in Kentucky at the Kentucky Forest Park. I'm going to attempt to add that to my schedule. And after that, we prepare for Congress. (laughs) Congress is the marathon show of the entire year. And there's only two shows I actually do not bend out of the trailer. WEC Ohio shows the level one East and the madness will be a booth set up inside the facility and Congress. I'm going to remain in the same spot, which was Jim and Joni Ross old booth in the annex, but we're going to give it a makeover this year to make it look like the trailer that was made up. You have a full year coming up. Yeah. That's exciting. A lot of travel. Yeah. Yeah. That's all the questions I had, Liz. I know you're the travel vendor show person now. So if you have anything. I, I'm sure I could talk Amy's ear off, but I I think we'll struggle this year trying to do vending and showing. I said this year I would go back to showing because I took a year off. And I think it's more of just for me to prove as you did, I can come back and just do it. So I'm anxious to see how I will survive and what the following year will bring after I'm showing. So I would like to think that I could handle it, but I'm, (laughs) I'm already kind of drowning. So I'm just going (laughs) to give it our best go. And I would like to grow my business more as we want to eventually open a brick and mortar. That's our ultimate goal is to have a brick and mortar store. So, yeah. Just remember your health, mental, physical comes first and you're young. So you can be torn in more directions than someone else trying to do it all also. So you just have to focus on you and what's most important to you. And I wish you all the best of luck. I learned I can't do it all. So yeah, I had to choose. I, I'm going to have some hard lessons, I think. And uh, honestly, that's fine. You know, as you're young, you can learn and pivot from there. So 
this conversation was very enlightening and I'm excited and I'm hopefully I'll run into you while we're at Northern Ohio. If not sooner, I'll be at level one East just to come visit and take some pictures and hang out. So. Right. And any questions or any help you need, just feel free to ask. And so before this year, I had a 16 foot cargo trailer I dug around and we made it work. And there was times I slept on the floor of the air mattress or it was an Airbnb, share rooms with the breeder or we just made it work. But now to be all inclusive in one trailer with living quarters, I just go to bed mm-hmm. and get up and look at my beautiful trailer and start my day. Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Thank you've, you. Yeah. You've definitely paid your dues. So we're all very excited for you. So we'll begin to wrap it up here, but do you want to provide contact information, your social media information, anybody can find you? You know, you gave us your show schedule. So if people have questions or want to inquire about clothing or tack or anything, where do they get a hold of you? They can get my Facebook page. I have Glamorous Threads, English Apparel and Tack on Facebook and Instagram. Website currently is GlamorousThreadsWritingApparel.com, which things might be changing there in the future. Here's a hint for a new online shopping experience. Seeing that doesn't really fit the tack and accessory portion of it. I have something I'm working on for an all new online shopping experience also. So not only will the specialty items be available through the trailer, they'll be available online through my new online shopping store in the near future coming soon. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you for your time today. We're excited to share your growing business ventures with everybody. And if anybody has any questions on English Tech Apparel and where to get a hold of you, we'll make sure all your information is in the show notes and appreciate it. Enjoy your Florida sunshine for all of us in the winter right now. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And I'm actually sweating right now. Sorry. That must be nice. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) we're in like five layers and yeah, trying to trying to deal with winter. So thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Yes. Thanks for having me. All right, that'll be your class. Bring them in and line them up.